Hello, my name is Richard Cox and I'm joined here today by David Webstel. David is a retired engineer, a teacher and counsellor who's written a book or is in the process of writing a book, sorry, on something called idealism. So David, we know each other from Tim Freak's work and we attend discussion groups together and we often talk about this thing called idealism. Why don't you go ahead and define that for, for the audience? Right. Um, not quite true to say the book is about idealism. That sounds like a philosophical book, but what I would say is idealism is the philosophy which underpins the things I, I look at in the book. And idealism is a group of philosophies that assert that the nature of reality or what we can know of reality um, is mind-like or mind stuff or as I would say um, consciousness. Okay. And is um, there's a branch, I mean there's a history of idealism which I won't try and go into but there's a branch of um, idealism which monistic idealism which would hold that everything is consciousness. It doesn't mean just what we know is um, consciousness. Like Kant said, um, we never know the thing in itself because he, th there could be something else beyond um, consciousness. But um, monistic idealism would say that everything is consciousness. A bit later, maybe I'll define what I mean by consciousness because different people use it in different ways. You can't say there's a right way or a wrong way. There was like consciousness, awareness, we talk of um, the mind. So it's better that everybody clarifies what they mean by that. And I would say that I'm a monistic idealism or idealist or that monistic idealism underpins what I'm exploring in the book. And is this in contrast to the way that perhaps the world is typically seen in society now in a way of materialism, the idea of um, the consciousness is a byproduct of a pre-existing material world? Yeah, it, um, it's very different from that would hold that material reality is an illusion and what I do in the book is and what I prefer to do when I'm looking at this with anybody is to start from our direct experience because already what we've done is we've mentioned consciousness we've mentioned material um, a material world and these terms begin to seem like um, equivalent, not equivalent terms, but we put them in the balance, which is true. And because our, um, the predominant philosophy and the predominant understanding, even if it's unconscious with most people, most people don't really think about it, is that matter is what is real. And so what I like to do is, um, is to start, if I'm talking about it with anybody, we won't have time today to do this. We've done a little bit of um, inquiry together on this, but I won't have time in this um, discussion to go into. But what I like to do is to start with what our direct experience is. And um, I can very quickly summarize how I would go about that. And, and that would be to start with closed 
eyes and then see what it is that we are experiencing um, with closed eyes because the visual sense for sighted people is so dominant um the about a third of the brain if you think that the brain processes in order to produce vision but a, a third of the brain seems to be used for vision so it's a really pre predominant part of our sensory system so and it's so i like to start with closed eyes where things are then a bit simpler and then what i find and people i've discussed it with and what i like to do is um use um inquire into it and so that to to look together and then to reflect on it checking whether our experiences check out i'm very um interested in the research method of cooperative inquiry when i did my msc on consciousness and transpersonal psychology i used that methodology and this isn't strictly um uh, cooperative inquiry, but cooperative inquiry use the process of doing something and then reflecting on it and then going on to the next thing. So that basic process is what I like to do. And what I think I recognize when I do that, first of all, we have to really wonder that anything, it's a marvel, that anything exists that doesn't have to be anything but there is something exists um and there is knowing that something exists i mean uh, the materialist explanation of reality doesn't really require that anything is known mm. um it could all be going on me me mechanically um so um that's a, a first thing and then what we notice is that there are that there is knowing and that there are phenomena which are showing up and it seems it's like there's a kind of field it's not um in in physics um a field is something um space-like or a region which has a certain certain physical properties um and i would say this is Field like it's spaciousness. It's not. It's not um, a closed-in feeling, but there seems to be um, this spaciousness. And there are two qualities. One is knowing, and then the other is that phenomena are showing up. Uh, and so I like to keep vocabulary easy, and so I talk about knowing and showing. And then with closed eyes. Two of the predominant phenomena that will immediately will be immediately are aware of is one is thoughts. It often shocks people when they try to meditate for the first time. They close their eyes and then finding all these thoughts coming and going. And I deal with thoughts, but first of all, what I deal with is is other phenomena. Thoughts I, I take on later because I look at thinking and who we think we are as a whole um issue but one of the predominant um other sets of phenomena are bodily sensations that we can um we are aware of the body like i'm talking to you now i can i'm aware um 
the pressure from the chair I'm sitting on, a bit of pressure from the back, my feet on the floor. I have some pain in the region of my my knee. Um, and so there are sen bodily sensations. And what we have to notice is that this is all we have ever known of the body. And so in my view and in idealism, we'd say there isn't a body out there which is causing sensations. What we know of the body is sensations. If we didn't have any sensations, we wouldn't know there um, the, the body. So the body is made up of bodily sensations. We and with had a, an interesting way of putting this, I think, of um, that even whether you take a materialist paradigm or a, a mentalist idealist paradigm, either way, even if you think there is an exterior material world, you never contact that world. Right. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got a quotation here from. Um, 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 David Eagleman is one of the current whiz kids in neuroscience um, and from his, um, I think it's a book which is based on a TV series he, he did um, in, and the book is from 2015 and, and he says, how does the biological wetware of the brain give rise to our experience, the sight of emerald green, the taste of cinnamon, the smell of wet soil? What if I told you that the world around you, with its rich colors, textures, sounds, and scents, is an illusion, a show put on for you by your brain? If you could perceive reality as it really is, you would be shocked by its colorless, odorless, tasteless silence. Outside your brain, there is just energy and matter. Um, and so... That that's from a current materialist neuroscientist, and, th and this is the view. And so that would apply to the body. In in that view, all we know of the body is certain um, something going on in certain regions of the brain, which produces feeling and the feeling of movement, etc. Yep. And so um, and then so noticing that the body, what we take. Of what we know of the body as a set of sensations with closed eyes we can feel other we can feel the outside of the body and and we can notice that these sensations are inside this field of awareness and so the body as we know it is inside the mind and the interesting thing is if you put your hands on either side of your head with closed eyes, then you know, and we could even do a thought experiment. Imagine somebody had bored a hole in your head and then you could put your finger through the hole and touch your brain. And you know that the brain is inside this field of consciousness also. And so I'll, I'll give a couple of definitions um, now. So I would say, Consciousness is what knows and shows. It has knowing and it has showing. And this, and this apparently individual field of consciousness, I say it's an individual field because I guess you are experiencing or you could experience something similar 
um, but your experiences are, are different from mine. Um, and people under normal circumstances, I say under normal because sometimes with telepathy and other, sometimes people seem to be able to read other people's minds, but under normal circumstances, um, we don't have, we don't know the experiences that are going on. Um, and so this individual field of consciousness, um, I would call the mind. Some people use mind in the sense of the, the thoughts that are going on. I can't make up my mind means I, I'm having different thoughts about what I should do. And I use a, awareness as the knowing aspect of consciousness. Some people do it the other way around. And you can't say one is right or one is wrong, but um, one just has to define how one me um, uses them and so the mind the the body is in the mind the brain is in the mind and if we feel other objects we can also realize that these sensations are also in the mind so these objects outside the um, um, body are also experienced in the mind and I find it easiest to do this with closed eyes first because then you can really get these um, th th this um, appreciation of this and then the interesting thing comes when we open our eyes and what I, what I recommend to anybody doing this and the first part of the, the book is trying to set out a number of exercises so we go through this and so then I build on um, what we have experienced directly I begin to build a more elaborate um, case on this but the interesting thing is if one is aware of this spaciousness and then opens their eyes slowly then what we realize is that the visual impressions seem to flood the space flood the spaciousness we are not a little person in our heads looking out at this world of shapes and forms and colors as I read that um, piece by David Eagleman, nobody really asserts that. That's in philosophy called naive um, realism. And so if one op slowly opens one's eyes, slowly closes one's eyes, one can really um, appreciate that, that everything we experience out there also visually are also phenomena appearing in consciousness. And uh, maybe you've done it, but a lot of people have done that. I've done it sometimes when you're lucky enough on a on a clear starlit night to lay on your back and look up at the heavens. All of that is appearing in um, consciousness. Yeah, so, so that's how I begin. Uh, to go on from there, then, what you say is why suppose there's this extra thing, this material world, giving rise to that if all we ever know is consciousness why should we necessarily suppose this material world giving rise to it? isn't it more parsimonious more simple to say yeah that's exactly what i say yeah yeah it, it seems that um okay um what we could agree if we were in the same space and we we have met together in in the same space and if we were together in the same space now we could check out what is appearing um for us and we would come to 
an agreement that there there seems to be some objects that is that that have some objectivity of course one of the problems in all fields of philosophy really is how do you get over the idea of solipsism that all there is is um and my mind and that because one of the phenomena one of the things that we can notice with the mind it also has the facility for imagination mm -hmm. that the mind can uh, um conjure up um it, in the philosophy of consciousness these things like the the color um of a green leaf the the feel of silk the the sm smell of a rose etc all of these are known as qualia but we can notice that um the mind can conjure up imagine um all of these qualia if i said to you now you close your eyes and imagine you've got a lemon in your hand a cut lemon and then you squeeze it on your you know, immediately one begins to to taste that so the mind can conjure up these things so it's always a problem you have to it's difficult to prove that there is anything else than one's own mind but if one checks out into subjectively with somebody we can i could agree that you you seem to be a, a conscious being um like like me but there are phenomena if we're in the same room we might see it there might be a table there and there might be a vase on the table we could say oh, i have this experience if we drew a picture they would be different because they're of a different angle but if we change places we that's objective i neither of us is making up this table or, or making up the vase and so we have to account for objectivity and as you said my view is that the most parsimonious um um way to do this is to say wow isn't it likely if all anybody has ever done is experience phenomena of consciousness appearing in consciousness and known by consciousness then it's isn't it likely that this objectivity is something conscious like something mind like so and, if you and i meet in a dream we can both look at a table and say yeah. we can both point to it and say there's a table there. You see, you see that I see the table. There's definitely yep, yep. a table there, and it looks brown and it's made of oak. And um, yeah, go on. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I would say, well, if that's the case, oh, do we have any examples where that that this might be the case? And that's exactly it with the with the the the, the dreaming mind. The the dreamer dreams um, a dream person with with a dreamed mind and in that mind appear objects and it could be that they meet somebody and they check out with that person hey richard do you see this table here yeah and of course the dream person in this case is also from the dreamer's mind but we we have a, an example and it seems to me it's almost as if we have been all human beings and it seems many mammals also um dream that well, let's just take human beings that all human beings almost every night or in fact every night have been given clues to the nature of re reality so yeah it's like hint hint every night hey 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 that this could be the case so just to come back to your point where you mentioned the problem of solipsism 
And I thought that was, it was interesting that as soon as you bring up the idea of solipsism, the idea of everything being a dream in my individual mind or your individual mind, you instantly say that's a problem because it's an idea no one likes. We don't want to think that we're the only thing that's existing in the universe. Yeah. Everyone else is just a dream character. So when we dream at night, we generally take it that the people we meet are different aspects of us. They're arising yeah. in my yeah. brain and I'm one of those characters. And I suppose we don't know that that's true. We, we, we think it's because often we meet people who we know in our dreams and when we yeah. talk to them, they don't remember being there. So, yeah. um, we, it, it, but it, we can't necessarily say that everyone we meet in a dream is arising in our brain. And we, do that, we just, we don't know that. We assume that. Um, well, it's a product of our mind rather. I, I'll keep yeah. you on mind rather than yeah. brain at the moment because I, I have a look at the brain um, um, in, my, in my view later on. Yeah, but we, we don't know that, yeah. But when I'm walking around in what I take to be my waking world, um, I certainly think it would be nice to believe that I'm meeting with other people who are also consciously aware and everyone's not a figment of my imagination. Mm. That would be a rather, uh, if I found out that was true, it would probably be quite depressing. So we all want to get away from solipsism, uh, this idea that everything is my dream. But where do you go to, Brian? I kind of, I know where you're going, but I'm going to ask you, where do you go to um, that isn't solipsism then? what's the nature of this mind and why do you think that is is the case and not what what convinced you that solipsism isn't the answer that you're not just in your own dream well because um just as we're doing now we're not in the same room but i'm checking out with you now and although i have an appearance of you i have an appearance of a com of my laptop screen and your face is an and i I take it through the wonders of electronics and the internet that this that um, if I was in the same room as you, I would have this same impression. And we seem to be having this discussion. And I have no. It's very difficult for me to prove that you're not a figment of my imagination. But I've talked with you and thousands of people in my in my life, and it seems that 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 isn't the the case but it but it is it's a tricky thing in philosophy there's uh, an english philosopher it's brian mcguire and i remember him when he was at public school he said he was in in and one of his subjects he was discussing was philosophy and one sunday he was in the chapel and he was singing in the choir or he was in the choir and then he suddenly was thinking over this and he said it made him feel so strange he had to rush out and vomit because the, the horror of the thought of the of this thought that that might be um the case i just find that consistent i've just been reading an interesting book on uh, quantum physics in fact, um, and the authors brought up uh, solipsism as a potential explanation of reality yeah. and couldn't get away from it fast enough. They had to instantly say it was silly, right? Yeah. Mm. And it's like an emotional, an emotional repulsion to it that we all feel on a very deeply intuitive level. Yeah. This isn't true. It can't be true. But logically, it makes a lot of sense. And so it, 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 could, it, it could be true. It, I don't feel it, it, it could true. be true. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So but, you're, but I, you're taken then, um, and if I was to, to jump ahead, I think we're going in the direction of something more of all things arising and where, where aspects of one mind are kind of more of the perennial philosophy or the advice of Vedanta of India. 
yeah that the direction you're going with the, the it, it, it is i mean um to avoid religious connotations because what um i'm not sure of the form i want to put the book out yet but i want it to appeal to people who are not just um um people in inverted commas spiritual people I, I think it's important that people from a wide background really begin to um look into it I, mean, you know, I think our misguided view of reality in relation to some of the things that are going on in the in the world but um uh so i avoid talking about god immediately and so i use the the phrase um, expression uh, a meta mind meta meta mean trans transcending beyond or uh, oh. and so that I have the hypothesis that there is that what is the source of this um, objectivity is the is a meta mind it's a phrase others have used there's um somebody Peter Lloyd he wrote a couple of books based on um, uh, an updating of Barclay's um, uh, um, I idealism, and he used the phrase. Others have used it. Some people use universal mind or absolute mind or the mind of of God. And so, in this case of dreaming, then the the dreaming mind would be like the meta mind um, for the dreamed, the dreamed person, and the dreamed mind. And I think there are other um, e e examples of this. Um, for example, it, storytelling is a ubiquitous um, thing that human beings do in all cultures and throughout history, as far as we know, people have told stories. And what a good storyteller has the ability to do is like to, to transport you into another world where you identify with this world and they can they have vivid pictures in their own mind and somehow they help you to create the same pictures in your own mind and then you get involved in in the in the stories and then a modern form of storytelling is the novel and some novelists i've heard interviewed or read about they say oh, um, sometimes a, a character appears, comes into, and, and they then seem to have a mind of their own. And then some people, they have a novel with several main characters, and they switch the point of view from character to, to character. And then in this case, I would say that the novelist's mind is acting as a meta mind these characters exist in their mind but then when they switch from mind to mind they they, they take on the individual minds and there are other um e examples like a film scriptwriter is doing the same thing when they're visualizing the the film and a very contemporary example which i use as an analogy um is a uh a multi a mass multi online game i think in the conceptual phase of the game the the person who's making the game before they get into the program has to go through this process of viewing that there is information about the world and the avatars that will appear in the world and how and how the different avatars can have a view on the world 
And so um, I think there are several examples that we know of which are um, ubiquitous human things are um, examples of meta mind and minds. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? As with dreams, all works of literature are all, all creations of different literary worlds are all those words are, are, are ideal are arising in idealism, arising in thought. Yeah. Not a, an objective material reality to any of them. Yeah. We just think this reality we have is the one that yeah. has objective material aspect. Yeah. They're the exception to every other world we create. Mm. So um, I think there's a lot of different directions um, we could go with this and, and bits we could zoom right in on. And um, hopefully we'll get the chance um, in future uh, dialogues. Just for today, though, maybe, David, you could sum up by just saying a few words on the nature of the mind. And I, I get that you're coming from, uh, this is not a new idea, it's been described in uh, perennial philosophy throughout um, time and um, space for thousands of years. And um, I'd, yeah, just finish by saying a bit about the, the nature of the mind, uh, that it's as it's described and as you perceive it. Well, I would say that I've already done that to a certain extent, that the mind is this um, spaciousness in which phenomena appear and in which I know. And I've really mainly concentrated today, we've been concentrating on phenomena which we might think of as physical phenomena and I've been trying to give the beginnings of an alternative um, um, explanation of these phenomena we take and so they appear but of course then there is the there are thoughts which are appearing and then a significant number of thoughts are what we call I th which I call I thoughts, thoughts that begin with a, I want, I need, I think, or, or, or whatever. And so within the mind, uh, there's the experience of the, the body, there's the experience of phenomena outside the body, and there, there are internal phenomena, also the, the realm of, of, of thoughts. Um, and, and how, and this maybe we need to go into in more um, detail because I really look at thinking and who I think I am and who perhaps I really am beyond um, beyond thinking when I when I'm not thinking. But um, so so I don't know whether that's satisfactory in saying that. So so I don't think of the the mind as just a stream of thoughts. It's um, this whole um, arena, if you like, or whole spaciousness. And one, one interesting thing, this could all seem very um, abstract, but I'd just like to finish on what, what is the impact of, of this? And, and there is a lot of impact, particularly if one goes outside. And then one realizes, and if you can do the opening and closing eyes outside, and then you realize that this whole world, the trees, birds, everything 
our appearances in mind. And some years ago, I came to the realization, why is it so good to feel that we are in nature, as people say? And the reason is that nature is in us. That nature is structuring our consciousness, is structuring us. And so when one has a feeling of being in nature and then one goes into maybe a run-down, urban, polluted environment, that's also structuring one's um, consciousness. And so I have a phrase which I, I said that we are each unique individual multi-sensory instruments on which other version of the symphony of the universe is played and we're not only passive instruments we are also players um, and then one thinks when one encounters meets another person that that person also is if you like in we're all terribly intimate all the time that person is also in us structuring our consciousness and then one realizes why for example just an expression on somebody's face or a gesture or um what why that has so much impact because it really it one we're very good at interpreting that as an internal emotion emotional state for that person but but also um, it's structuring our consciousness, and when if when the quality of touch with another person, that's knowing that's how I'm. It's like sculpturing another person when you feel that, and the other person. This is why for for babies, I mean, the first you know the first weeks and months of life, the way they are held is so um, significant because it's actually structuring their awareness of themselves. So that's a little glimpse. What one aspect of why it really has an um, impact on how we view ourselves and others in the world. Okay, thanks for that, David. I'm sure we'll pick up on a lot of aspects mm, yeah. of future discussions. We'll leave it there for today. And um, very good. I'll look forward to them. I hope people enjoy them. Yeah, yeah, good. I look forward to continuing.